Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. All right, we are, uh, as we do typically towards the end of the summer and beginning of the fall, have a few sermons on who we are as a church, where we're going, trying to answer the question, why do we do what we do? Now, kids, this is really important for you. We ask that your parents have you in here during the service, unless you're really little and you use the nursery. Uh, we don't think children's church is evil or anything, but we, for us, it works better for us. We think it's good to have kids in here in the service. We know that creates some difficulty for you parents sometimes. Uh, that part of your ministry isn't going to be able to paying attention to the sermon like you'd like to, but paying attention to your kid. And so kids, you can be really helpful in this. This is part of who we are as a church. Pay attention. For the next 40 minutes or so, that's about the average sermon length here, we ask that you look up here, open your ears, maybe use the kid's bulletin to fill that out, and... uh going to be an example to others around you of your attentiveness. Put away the squirreliness for a few minutes and uh, give us your attention. We think that will be helpful to you and so hope that you can do that. The topic that I want to talk about that Pastor Jeff introduced is prayer. So our church is known for a few things. In fact, one of the things that people, if they're talking to me about me and pastoring, the thing that they mentioned mostly is that you're not afraid to say what needs to be said and stuff like that, uh, which is fine. But I was thinking, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, man, you're a pastor known for praying. Or Pine Grove is really a praying church. I, it's not that I don't pray. It's not that we don't pray. It's that that isn't what people typically notice about us. And so that's one of the things that I have been attempting in my own life to improve that and want us to consider that as well. Uh, and so we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, uh, a little bit in chapter 4. And so if you turn there, 1 Peter 3, we'll begin at verse 7, a little bit on context. So as in many parts in the Bible, the writer who is an apostle, a prophet by the Holy Spirit, will apply the truth of God to specific segments of society, different groups. So here he does it to wives in verses 1 to 6, and then to husbands in verse 7, and then in verse 8 he'll say, finally all of you, speaking to the entire gathered church. And so what we're going to say, look at is prayer applied first to husbands and then kind of to all Christians at all times specifically. And so that's the context of it. So I'm going to read verses 7 to 12, and then in chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Likewise, so after applying it to wives, now husbands, likewise husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, here it is, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Uh, Now flip over to chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And here it is again. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who is speaking oracles God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's ask God's help. Father, our hearts are often too dull and distracted, and so we ask that you would have mercy on us and fill our hearts with delight in and love for your word. May we lift up our hands to you, seeking your blessing that we might hear your word. For if we keep your law continually, you will bless us that will walk in beautiful places. Aid us by your Holy Spirit to trust in your word. And so let steadfast love come to us now. Amen. One of the wonders of Scripture is that it all fits together very well. It was written over hundreds and hundreds of years by tens of different authors, and yet it reads as if it was written by one person, uh, over one short period of time. This tells us both that the origin of God's Word is God Himself, and that by His Spirit He carried along the prophets and the apostles to write what He wanted written, and that God has uh, unifying, singular, important themes. So if you were to be asked, kids, if somebody were to ask you, what's the Bible about? What would you tell them? What's the Bible about? And there's a couple answers. Jesus would be one. The Bible is about Jesus, isn't it? That's really what, yeah, love. Jesus is God's love for us from the beginning to end. The signifying theme is the love of God. God is love. He created everything in love. He governs and provides generously in love. And He redeems His own out of love. And then we, created and being redeemed and restored to God's image, are to love. That's a main theme of Scripture from beginning to end. Now, all that we see in Scripture then is about God's love, including all of the commands. You know this, right? When Jesus was asked, it's the 
most important commandment, what did he answer? Love God. Love your neighbor. In fact, Jesus said that all of the law and all the prophets hang on this thing. So this is true in our passage. So consider chapter 3, verse 7. The Holy Spirit here calls husbands to love their wives, to live with them in an understanding way. Right? Husbands, you know that your wives are different than you. Even the purposes for which they are made are different than you. And so they have different weaknesses than your weaknesses, and you're to figure that out and love them according to their sex. They're not your boys. They're not your bros. They're different. And so love means looking at those differences and living with them in light of them. Gently, tenderly, affectionately. And then he ties it to love for God. So what Peter is doing here is what you see in a lot of scriptures that he is working with the principle of love God and love neighbor. Except he reverses them. Husband, who's your nearest neighbor? Your wife. So love her. And your love for her will provide the freedom for you to love God in prayer. So love neighbor, love God is what he's working with. We see the same thing in 7.12. Now in 7.10-12, he's directly quoting from Psalm 34, a psalm that we just preached six, seven weeks ago. The gist of what is being said here is expanded from marriage relationship to relationships within the local church. How we treat each other. He begins in verse 8 with this list of ways to love each other. Unity of mind, sympathy, brother love, tender heart, a humble mind. That is, you are to love one another, and here's the specifics of it. And so you're supposed to look at lists like this and say, how am I doing? Do I have unity with my brothers and sisters? Am I working hard at that? Do I actually feel sympathy for where they have pain? Do I have a tender heart? Am I humble or arrogant of mind? So love neighbor, right? Love neighbor. Here, what's your nearest neighbor, Christian? What's Pine Grove Community Church? Maybe the people in your neighbor's small group. You're supposed to take this with you as a Christian who has been loved by God and so love in detail. Some of you have no affectionate feelings for your brothers and sisters. And so when you read a tender heart, You're convicted because you don't feel much heart at all for each other. That's your work then, isn't it? To love your neighbor. But then he applies it in verse 12 to your relationship with God. He says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Well, who is the righteous? Who are the righteous here? Well, it's those who are loving their brothers and sisters in their local church. Now, when it says the eyes of the Lord are on them, it doesn't mean like, He's watching you carefully to see when you muck it up. It means that he has turned his blessing on you as you are caring for with full sympathy your brothers and sisters in your local church. He's going to bless you. He's going to care for you. And then it turns to prayer. And his ears are open to your prayer. So love for God, again, expressed in the issue of prayer 
is dependent upon or closely associated with how we are treating for and feeling towards our brothers and sisters in the local church. So you see that? Love God, love neighbor, but reversed. And here he's doing something wonderful that your love for God, particularly your communication to him as he hears you and answers, is tied to and affected by how you treat each other. You see that? And so these two great commands, to love God and love neighbor, aren't two separate things. Of course, they're distinct, but they're intimately tied together. We see the same thing again in 4.7. The context here has to do with living in this world after Christ's resurrection and ascension. There's going to be a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty. But we shouldn't suffer in the world while living like the world. So you might see that in verse 2 he says, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. Verse 3, for the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That is, he said that before you came to Christ, you had plenty of time to indulge the flesh. That time's over. Don't live like the world anymore. And he has this list again. Sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. So here is love for neighbor. You, you can't say you love Jesus and live like that. As a Christian, you shouldn't join with them and they'll, they'll surprise you and malign you. But don't worry, God will judge. So then, since the end of things is all at hand, since the world is coming to an end, since God will judge in verse 7, be self controlled in your behavior towards others. Be sober minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. There it is again. You see it? Love your neighbor particularly in how you portray Christ to the watching world so that you can love God in prayer for the sake of your prayers. So you getting it? You see what he's doing here? Love God, love neighbor, fellow church member. And that our love for our neighbor, whether it's husband with wife, fellow church member with church members, a Christian in the workplace, or a Christian at Triggs, or a Christian in the world, impacts how we love God, particularly in prayer. Why is that? Why does how we work with and live with each other, whether it's in marriage, or in the local church, or in the world, have a radical impact on our prayers and our love for God and Him answering? Why is that? Well, we see a little bit in 3.12 that God is a good father and that as we, by faith, strive for obedience to commands to love one another, he'll bless us. Just normal, simple, right? Do you believe that? Husband, do you think you can neglect sincere, tender love for your wife and think that God is going to answer and be attentive to your prayers? You shouldn't be. Or do you think that you can go without real tenderness of heart for each other and humility towards each other and then think that God will attend to your prayer? No. Do you think you can dupe God into thinking that you call on Jesus but you live like the world and think that He'll be attentive to your prayers? No, we shouldn't. Now, I want to be careful here. 
one of the things we've been working on as a church is to understand the fundamental nature of a relationship with God, that it's not works. So again, I said I read Pilgrim's Progress before church every Sunday to get my heart ready for worship. And the story centers around a man named Christian who becomes aware by an evangelist of his sin before God. And he sees that he carries a great burden. And the evangelist tells him, listen, you see that gate way over there? Make a beeline for it. Don't deviate from it. It's there that you'll be welcomed in and your burden will come off because of only faith in Christ, just because of Christ. And beware, there'll be others who want to take you off the path and point you in other directions. Beware, just look at that and go there. What he's teaching is that there's only one way for you to rightly relate to God. It is through faith in His Son. That's it. It's not by anything else but faith in Jesus Christ. And as he's halfway to that gate, a guy named Worldly Wiseman comes up and convinces him that there's a better path, a quicker path, an easier path that won't be so difficult. That if you go over to the law, if you go over to listening to this guy who will just tell you what to do, how to keep God's law that the burden will come off and it will be much quicker and much easier. So what, what I'm getting at here is I don't want you to think that husband, how you treat your wife or how you treat each other, how you live in the world is the fundamental basis of your relationship with God. It isn't by your works. So when we look at a sermon on prayer, which is dependent on how we treat each other, I don't want you to be thinking or feeling that Ultimately, God answering my prayer depends on me being a a good guy or a good gal. That's not the fundamental. The fundamental is Jesus. That's it. But there is a consistency of life that we want to be real here at Pine Grove. That's one of our hallmarks of our church. Who are we as a church? Why do we do what we do? Because one of the temptations you'll be is to be a name-only Christian. All right, when you're driving down the road, there's signs tell you what to do. But those signs just stay in one place. They don't go along with you, do they? They're just pointing you in a direction, and that's what we don't want to be as Christians. We don't want to be just people who talk to others about this or that of being a Christian, but don't actually move in that direction ourselves. This has always been one of the most significant temptations for Christians. We're hearers only, but not doers. It's just talk. But we don't actually love. We could recite the importance of prayer and convince others of the importance of prayer, but we don't actually pray when we got trouble at work and we don't know what to do and we just handle it our own strength rather than getting on our knees and asking God's help. And so we do have to get right that your relationship with God ultimately depends on Jesus. Right? Amen? You can't be a good little boy or girl and earn your way into the kingdom. And yet, trusting in Jesus comes with a new life. And here it comes with a different way for husbands to relate to their wives. Here it comes with a a way that Christians are related to the other Christians in the local church or 
how we relate to the world. It should radically impact your life, and that radically impacts how you relate to God, particularly in prayer. You see what we're doing here? So Christians do have to think. You do have to be careful to hear. And so we don't want to dumb down the sermons. We don't want to preach just to keep you happy. We want to preach so that you feel the weight of your sin before a holy God and turn to Christ and then strive to do what He wants. And here we see that how we treat each other has a real impact on how God hears our prayers. And so if you were in battle and your communication with the people who call the shots and call in the missile strikes and call in reinforcements, if you didn't tend to that, when you really needed it, you'd get angry because the communication lines are broken, but really it's because you didn't tend to it. So are you careful to tend to your relationships in order that your communication with God might be vital? So husbands, again... It's hard to pray when you're out of fellowship with your wife. When that most vital relationship is disrupted, you know that your relationship with God is kaput. So are you careful to attend your relationship with your wife so that your relationship with God can be sound? Again, within the church. There are enough Christians who attend church but do nothing for other Christians. We've got plenty of those. Are you the kind of Christian that attends church and actually looks for ways to be helpful to the other Christians? Because you want freedom with God in prayer. Now, I'm not talking about taking a huge role. It may be that your most helpful thing to do can be just to come in here and clean up the sanctuary on a Tuesday. Figure out how to get the air conditioning more. All right, so as far as us at Pine Grove, who are we? Well, we're people who want to take the Bible with eternal seriousness. It is true. And at the heart of the Bible is God's love for us in Christ and our response of love for him and our neighbor. And here we're seeing that our love for our nearest neighbors, our spouses, our fellow Christians, those that we rub shoulders with in the world has a real impact on our love and relationship with God. And we want to care about those things. We don't want to be Christians in name only. But here, notice that the point is prayer. You see what he's doing in this? Let's again look at these verses. Look at 3.7. What is or what are the reasons given for husbands to be very careful and attentive to the weaknesses of their wives in order to love them? What's the reason given? So that your prayers may not be hindered. So a motivation, brothers, for your attentiveness to your wife and care for her is that you can have an open communication with God for the sake of your sees elevating prayer. Like the Bible talks in great seriousness of the marriage relationship. It, it was the first thing God did between man and woman is marry them. He attends marriage with all kinds of blessings and warnings for screwing it up. Marriage is held in highest esteem in the Bible. And here he says, make sure that you're taking care of your marriage for a greater thing. If marriage is great, how much more prayer then? 
Prayer is elevated to a higher level than even marriage. Again, in verse 12 of chapter 3, the relationship within the church. Finally, verse 8, finally, pay attention to this. Now, this is one of the most delightful things to a preacher. He says, finally, at the beginning of chapter 3, and there's still three more chapters. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? See? I have the Bible on my side. When I say, and this is the last point and still have 20 minutes to go, I've got good biblical reason for this. So how you treat each other, for what purpose? Isn't the Bible full of speech about how we should treat each other within the church? All of the one another's, the specific context in the Bible about one another, how we love one another, is for the church. It's a huge thing. Think of the Ten Commandments. How we treat each other, the last five through ten are all about our treatment of each other. And here he says, do that for the sake of your prayers being heard. So again, for a Christian, the most vital relationships we have in the world are actually our local church. And we need to be careful how we treat each other so that God's ears are open to our prayers. The prayer is elevated to a higher place. And so what rules you? If, if, if we asked our, us as a local church, what's our, like, what's our governing heart? What governs us? What drives us? What motivates us? Why do we do what we do? Is it so that our relationship with God is an open communication in prayer? He's giving us a great motive for whatever we do. So Awana volunteers, as you start up, why are you doing that? Is it so that your relationship with God can be open and free? A great priority at our church is family. Fifteen years ago almost, Pastor Jeff was hired to, so our church could move away from kind of the age-segregated way of ministering where you just minister to old women over here and young kid, girls over Like everybody separates. To bring us to be having the family is a very important thing here that we could have healthy marriages and more children and really work hard on that. And I think there's been a lot of fruit of this. But why do we do that? Well, here he's giving us a great motive so that we can have vital, open prayer with God. So as you think of, why do we do what we do here? It is for God's glory, of course. It is to make marriages better and parenting better. and But mainly it's that we can have vital, loving relationship with our Heavenly Father and particularly in prayer because here we see it's elevated to a very high place. So, is prayer that high of a place for you? For the sake of prayer. Look at that again in verse 7 of chapter 4. So what I'm saying is, as a church, one of the things I want you to be praying for and thinking about and adding on to what you do is this thought, how is this impacting my prayer life with God, my intimate connection with Him? For the sake of my prayers. You see that? For the sake of my prayers. Because God hearing and God answering is the greatest privilege I have. I want to do what I'm doing so that that is vital and healthy and right. That's the kind of church I want to be known. That's what I want, the kind of pastor I want. That's what I want our elders and deacons to be known as. We talk about replacing the roof. Have we prayed a lot for this? 
Are we a church that's really dependent humbly on God? Or are we proud? Because isn't prayer one of the greatest expressions of humility? Proud people don't pray. They don't need to. Humble people pray. One of the kids in last week's Kids Bulletin asked this really intriguing question, where is heaven in the world? (laughs) I think what they're meaning is if you like look at the entire universe, you know, what's the address of heaven? That's a wonderful question because they're wanting to know something about heaven. And yet it made me think of heaven isn't so much a place with a you know, a location and a dress, but it's the gathering of God's people before God. That's heaven in this world. And what do we do as God's people when we gather before God? What's the thing we do more than anything else? Worship Him. Glorify Him. Do you know that most often in the Bible and in church history, that they described the gathering of God's people before God as a service of prayer. The singing was seen not as singing, but as praying. The preaching wasn't seen just as communicating information, but as the people receiving it together and calling on God. And prayer baptism is said as an appeal to God, a prayer to God for a good conscience. And so let's be that kind of people. So, if prayer is so important, what specifically can you and I be doing as a local church, as a body of believers, in order to have vital prayer lives with God? Well, we don't want to be wiser in Scripture, and so let's say, husbands, be attentive to your wives. Don't just consider what you want, when you want it, how you want it, but first consider what your wife needs. Be attentive to her. Now, wives and husbands, I'm not saying that the wife should... Like, our world says things like this right now, out of feminism. Women rule, and so men should serve all the interests of fallen woman. I'm not saying women should be the dominant force in the home. The man should be. But the man should use his dominance and strength to care for his wife, particularly his soul, her soul. So husband, how are you attending to your wife's relationship with God? How are you helping her? For the sake of your prayers. How are you helping her godliness? Or... Other men in the church with other women in the church, widows, single mothers, what are you doing to help them in their relationship with the Lord? Men, are you leading your wives into sin? Are you living them with in such a way as to bring them into sin? Or to helping them be holy? Men, are you helping them prepare for worship on Sunday morning? And the kids too, so that it goes well for us, that she can come. Not so frazzled somewhat fresh to prayer. That's one thing. So men, are you leading your wife and your family in prayer? Be a good application, wouldn't it? 
You can do it small. You can make sure that the family prays before meals. You can make sure that the family gathers before bedtime or however it works in your family. You can make sure that throughout the day as things enter into your day that you handle them with prayer. In the middle of an argument with your wife, how about, honey, let's just stop and pray a second. Or as you're making a small decision, where are we going to eat tonight? How about we pray? Now, husbands, probably what you could do is just pick a place to eat and go there. That'd be helpful to your wife too. and So do that. So that's one. Second is then our relationships with each other. What are we doing in order to be more prayerful for each other? How are you regularly praying for each other? Are you? Are you praying for your pastors? Please do. Are you praying for your elders and deacons? Are you praying for the needs of the church? What's the system you're using in order to keep track of the needs of our church? you use index cards or a prayer app or maybe a whiteboard at home? How are you keeping track of the prayer needs of the church and praying for them? Are you gathering in your neighborhood small groups in order to pray? We have some really good examples of this. We have people who show up here early to church. I walked in on one guy in the back room there on his knees praying for the church. It's really awesome. How about you? How are you praying for the church? Now, how about for the world? You see in chapter 4 that there is this relationship where they have the world, and we're not supposed to do what the world does anymore, but we're supposed to live different. We're supposed to be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. How are you interacting with the world in prayer? Those of you who have your kids involved in various activities, sports or music or drama or whatever, are you doing it in prayer? Are you praying for the people that you see there? Praying for your coworkers? Are you letting people know that you'll be praying for them? Do they see the difference in you? Right? They should be surprised that you are different. And it will cause them to often not like you, but every so often they'll be intrigued and ask. So we should be different. And we should do it for the sake of prayer. So what I'm advocating here at the end is some specifics of prayer for the sake of prayer. Because what way can you love each other better, husbands, wives, wives, husbands, parents, children, fellow church members, than praying? Now praying isn't the end. There should be deeds for the sake of prayer for the sake of seeking God in prayer. Because it is true that God is our help. That you are utterly dependent on Him. That you really can do nothing apart from Him. At all. I mean, what is the main frustration in your life right now? What's the most difficult thing that you're facing that you just don't have an answer for yet? Isn't it so foolish how little we pray for that? And yet it consumes so much of our time and energy and thought and talking with others, and yet we rarely pray for it like we should. What if you just spent 10 minutes on your knees a day for that issue? That's the kind of church we want to be. Does that make sense? That's the kind of people we want to be. Let's ask God's help. Father, you are the God of all gods. And there is none like you. You are our strength. You watch over us. You are our place of comfort and rest when we are in trouble or anxiety. 
And so teach us to pray to you, O God. We often lack the faith to do it. We don't endure in it. We find it much simpler to do what we want to do in our own strength. And so forgive us for this and help us then to pray. Pray in our families, to pray here at church, to pray in the world, and to do what we do with the motivation for the sake of our prayers. And so, God, please teach us patiently by your Holy Spirit to depend on you more in prayer and to attend to those other relationships for the sake of our connection to you in prayer. And so, God, please have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen.